Will you speak to us this morning? And as we open your word, would you show us what it looks like to come to you, to imitate you, and to keep on doing what you started? Lord, help us to grow and mature in your likeness as a kingdom leader. Come, Holy Spirit. Make us more like Jesus. We pray for the Father's glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can uh, have a seat. So this morning we step back into the Gospel of John. In fact, we started our message series um, in the Gospel of John so that we might have life in Jesus' name. We started this journey through the Gospel of John one year ago today. Personally, I can't believe we made it all the way to chapter 13 so quickly. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. And picking up where we left off last week, where we see Jesus' invitation to come to him, to know and be known, to belong, to experience the fullness of God's love in Christ, and then to, to follow Jesus, to imitate him, to be around him and so much a part of his life and him so much a part of his life that we begin to think what he thinks and see the way that he sees and feel what he feels, that we actually cooperate with him and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue his mission and ministry. That's the call to discipleship, to come to Jesus, to imitate Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And as we pick up from there, now we look at our identity as followers of Jesus, and as followers of Jesus with grace, who are a gospel community making disciples, but also becoming and developing kingdom leaders. This morning, Jesus shows us what kingdom leadership is all about. Now, I don't know if it dawned on you when Jonathan was reading the gospel, but do you ever hear something and wonder, why did they leave that out? Sometimes in order to emphasize something important, we have to leave something out, right? So I've learned that when you make frosting for a cake, Elizabeth, can I get a witness? <laughs> you add the white, but you leave out the yolk. Or is that meringue? That's what it is. See, I'm, I'm, I'm developing, I'm learning. When we, when we cease to learn, we cease to grow, and when we cease to grow, we cease to live. Okay, here's one I do know about. When you design a new iPhone, you emphasize the edge-to-edge -edge screen by leaving out the home button. Right? Y'all see that this week? Yeah? Okay. When John shares what Jesus teaches his disciples on the night before his death, he leaves out something important. He leaves out something important to emphasize something important. John, you know what John leaves out? 
John leaves out all the details about the Passover meal, which is a little bit cray-cray considering how much John has been focused on Jesus as the Messiah. But John leaves out the details of the Passover meal in order to emphasize something. He emphasizes the nature and manner of Jesus's ministry. He emphasizes that Jesus is teaching something about what it means to come to him, imitate him, and do what he started doing. And that's the, the big idea this morning, is that kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve in love for the sake of others. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples on the night that he's handed over to suffering and death. That's what he is inviting us to be and out of our being to do. That we are meant to know our identity in Christ and in grateful response to who he is and who we are in him, humbly serve and love for the sake of others. This is the, um, the Bible that my parents gave me six months after I committed my life to following the Lord Jesus. And in this Bible, in the very back, um, is um, a list of names. And very shortly after I started following Jesus, I realized that he put different people in different places over time in my life to help me grow in my identity with Christ and to learn how to humbly serve in love for the sake of others. And, and that, that list started getting really long because that's how we grow. That's how the Lord does it. And I'm wondering this morning, as you think about that, who's on your list? Who has God sent you over time to love you into a relationship with Jesus by humbly and sacrificially serving you? Who has God put in your life to bless you in that way? Can you, can you think about those people? God's probably dropping names in your heart right now. Um, how, how grateful are you for those people, for the blessing that they've been in your life? Knowing that you wouldn't be who you are in Christ or where you are as a disciple and a leader apart from God sending them and using them to help you come and imitate and participate in what Jesus is doing. But it raises a second question too. Whose list are you on? Who are you currently loving into relationship with Jesus by humbly and sacrificially serving them? Who is God calling you to come alongside, to humbly and sacrificially serve in the name of Jesus. God's probably putting some people on your hearts right now 
And that's a good thing. Do you hear what he's saying to you? Will you gratefully respond? I want to encourage you to um, open your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. In the blue Bibles, John 13, 1 through 5 is on page 900. A nice, clean 900. 900. John 13, 1 through 5. Let's look at verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. All right, let's, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's take our, our God-given imagination and kind of step back and put ourselves in that room on that night with that group of people around Jesus. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knows that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. How do you think Jesus is feeling? How would you feel if you knew that you were about to be arrested, tortured, and murdered? That it was inevitable. How do you think Jesus is feeling at this moment? We know that Jesus is completely at peace because he knows who he is and he knows the Father's love and approval of him. But we also know that Jesus is anxious. He's anxious about being tortured and crucified. In fact, it won't be too long from this moment where he's sweating blood. He's under such duress. And what we know is that the disciples are anxious too. Do you you know that feeling of anxiety, that turmoil in your gut, the butterflies, the shakiness, the restlessness, the fear? We know that the disciples are anxious too. They suspect the Jewish leaders are about to arrest Jesus and they think that the Jewish leaders are going to arrest them too. And so the disciples aren't just anxious, they're also afraid. Because if the Jewish leaders and the Romans come and they all get arrested... And even worse, if Jesus gets killed, then what's going to happen to them? And if for some reason they survive, how are they going to go on without Jesus? How are they going to be and do who he says they are and what he calls them to do in grateful response? So you have the disciples who are both anxious and afraid. But rather than ask Jesus what he thinks, they decided to take it into their own hands and try and figure it out themselves. Anybody identify with that? That's like far too often my default. When I get anxious or afraid, I try and control things rather than to submit to the love of the Father and ask Jesus, hey Jesus, what do you think? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do that? 
And what I'm finding more and more is that when I pause and ask Jesus to speak to me, he speaks to me. And he gives me the ability to hear him and the desire to do what he says. And when that happens, it turns out really good. But here the disciples are anxious and afraid, and rather than ask Jesus, they try and figure it out on their own. We, we know this with a little bit more detail from Luke chapter 22. This is Luke's uh, commentary on this night. Listen, Luke 22, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. This is Jesus speaking. It has been determined that the Son of Man must die. Clear? But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? He's talking about Judas, who's about to step away from Jesus, cease to imitate Jesus, and go approach an agenda and a mission of his own. And, and Luke goes on to say, the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Oh, not me, not me. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Uh. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. In the midst of their anxiety about the possibility of being arrested and their fear of losing Jesus, the disciples are selfishly bucking for position. They're vying for power. They're competing for control. They're egregiously caught up in what the kingdom can do for them rather than what they can do for Jesus and his kingdom. And it's Judas who epitomizes this ungodly attitude. Anxiety, fear, and selfish ambition. That's the backdrop of the Last Supper. You see that? You feel that? And that is why Jesus stops. And in a very dramatic way, emphasizes the essential attitude and nature of his mission and ministry. He stops. He gathers everyone's attention. And right here, maybe better than ever in the history of the world, actions speak louder than words. Jesus teaches at this moment, not so much with words that might be missed, but with a significant action that would forever be remembered. Right here is a dramatic illustration of his entire ministry. This is a gospel mini drama. Look at verses four and five. Jesus gets up from the table just as he got up from his throne in heaven. And he takes the initiative to leave the place of honor and move toward his people. Just as he left heaven and came to the earth. And then 
Jesus takes off his outer garments and lays them aside. Just as he laid aside his divine privileges to live among us as one of us. And then Jesus picks up the towel meant to be used by a slave and begin, begins washing the disciples' stinky, dirty, gross feet. Just like he would humble himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. And finally, Jesus pours water to rinse their feet, signifying that soon he will cleanse them from all of their sin and fill them with the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a parable. It's a gospel mini-drama where Jesus shows the disciples exactly who he is and what he has come to do and how he has come to do that and to help us identify with who we are in him and how we're supposed to live like him and for him. This is a beautiful, powerful moment. And it defines what it means for us to be a part of the kingdom of God leading in the way that Jesus led. Kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve others in love for the sake of others. Humbly serve in love for the sake of others. And what I want to do is I want to unpack that a little bit and help us to see what that looks like in our lives in the everyday as we go making disciples and extending the kingdom of heaven. I want to unpack what it looks like to imitate Jesus. So I want to encourage you, write in your Bible, take some notes. But more importantly, ask the Holy Spirit to help you see Jesus and to conform you and his image and likeness because we are a gospel community making disciples and becoming and developing kingdom leaders. That's who God has called us and redeemed us to be. So let's go back and unpack this a little bit. Let's look at verse 3. Kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? We get our cue from Jesus because Jesus knows who he is. He's super clear about who he is. And it says that Jesus knows that he had come from God and that he was what? returning to God, right? This speaks of Jesus's divine origin. He knows to whom he belongs. Do you know that in Christ, you are a dearly loved 
and precious child of the Father. And that he loves you before you do anything. You have his approval because you belong to him. Because he approves of you. Not because you earn it or merit it. We get that from Jesus. Do you know your divine origin? But also, this speaks to the secure attachment that Jesus has with the Father. He was going home. There wasn't anything that could keep him back, that could suppress him from being who he is and then doing what he came to do. Jesus was going home. Do you know where you're going? Do you know that in Christ there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God? No height or depth, no breadth, no width, no whatever can separate you from the love of God in Christ. So here we see that taking the lead from Jesus, kingdom leaders know their identity. And because Jesus knows who he is, he's not timid. He's not flaky. He's not trying to win anybody's approval. Jesus is secure. Because he knows who he is, he's secure in who he is. And because he's clear about who he is, he's able to be a non-anxious presence, even in the midst of anxiety and fear. And his doing follows his being. That's the foundation of kingdom leadership. When we're clear about who we are in Christ, we're free to do what God calls us to do for Christ. And we do it like Christ. And that means that our spiritual authority doesn't come from position. It doesn't come from possessions. It doesn't come from popularity. It comes from a person. It comes from coming to him, imitating him, and being a part of doing what he did. Y'all, that's who we are in Christ. Do we know who we are in Christ? Because our identity in Christ is the foundation of everything we will ever do. Look at verses four and five. Kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and as a result, act humbly. Now think back on this night. Because typically, when a group of men are alone, hiding upstairs in a secret room, and one of them starts to take off their clothes, it gets a little awkward. Um, but not this night. Because Jesus is demonstrating humility. He's showing us what the essence of humility is, a characteristic of his ministry. Humility is thinking of oneself less and disregarding 
what other people think of you in order to think more highly of another. Humility isn't low self-esteem. It's low self-preoccupation. Humility values others above ourselves. It doesn't do anything out of selfish ambition. And it completely trusts God's power is best displayed in our weakness. Being humble like Jesus means we forego the good stuff for ourselves so that we can be the source of blessing for others. That's humility. That's what it looks like to imitate Jesus. Kingdom leaders have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to gain. We don't pretend to be stronger than we are, but we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we wait for him to lift us up so that we can be an offering and sacrifice of praise for the sake of someone else. Y'all, that is who we are in Christ. We're humble. Keep looking. Kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve. We humbly serve. Jesus is showing the disciples who they are and how they're meant to live. And instead of leading out of a desire for power or control, for position or promotion or prestige or popularity, like Jesus, he's showing us that we're called to lead out of a desire to serve and to bless. Kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve, serve. This, um, this summer was really difficult for me. And uh, it's been really difficult on a couple of different levels. There's been um, a lot that's been going on um, in my life and the life of grace, but there's also been a lot that's been going on in Amanda's life and the life of our family. Um, and somewhere around midsummer, the Lord showed me, convicted me, that Amanda and I had started missing each other. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, kind of this disconnect, you know. We're feeling more like roommates than maybe uh, husband and wife. We, we, we started missing each other. No real conflict, uh, all on the same team, but just missing each other. Um, and, and I was blowing it. I was completely blowing it. And I had a lot of attention on myself. I was focused on me. I had a lot of needs, and I had this desire for more of Amanda, and this unexpressed expectation that she would do more for me. And y'all, I got in a really selfish place. 
And I don't know if, if you can identify with what I'm talking about, but that's a dark, selfish, ugly place. And by God's grace, I heard the Lord say, Matt, I'm here. And so I spoke out loud, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do I do? And he reminded me that, G that Amanda receives love differently than I do. That she receives love through quality time and acts of service. And so I got out a book that I hadn't read in a while, The Five Love Languages. And I looked at acts of service and all of my highlights and I wrote Amanda a note. And I said, Amanda, please write down three or four things that if I were to choose to do them, you would feel loved and appreciated. Maddie. And I left that uh, on her pillow. And you know what happened? She wrote me back. <laughs> And, uh, and, she, and she, put, she put down three little bullet points and a smiley face. <laughs> and I have been asking the Holy Spirit to give me the desire and the ability to humbly serve her in love. To get the focus off myself and my needs and put the focus on her and her needs. And the Lord's doing a good work in my heart and in my marriage in the midst of that. And so I wonder, maybe you might join me in making a list. Who's God putting on your heart right now? I'm confident there's probably a name or two that God's dropping in your heart. And maybe, maybe ask them or write them a note Hey, what are three or four things that if I did them, you would feel loved and valued by me? And it's not that we have to do them. It's that by doing it humbly and selflessly for their sake, we imitate Jesus and the love of God flows from our heart into theirs and it brings us joy. That's who we are in Christ. Keep looking there. Third, kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve in love. In love. Love is the very nature of God. The very nature of God is love, selfless, self-giving love. God's heart is so full of love that it can't be contained. It's like a constant stream, always overflowing and never ceasing. And the love of God flows out of God's heart and into the world and into our lives. And it's not because we're completely lovable. 
God doesn't love us because we're lovable. Let's be honest. There is a lot of unlovable mess in our lives. God is holy and we are so often unholy. And God is kind and compassionate all the time. And we can really be condescending and mean. Yet God loves us. But he doesn't love us because we first love him. God loves us because he loves us. He loves us first. And the only way we can love him or love one another is because he has first loved us in Christ Jesus. And I don't think I began to fully appreciate that until I became a dad. But I'm beginning to, to know and understand and feel the heart of Father God as a result of knowing and understanding what it means to be an earthly father. And I'm starting to get it. That God loves me just because he loves me. That there's nothing I can do to earn his love. There's nothing I can do to increase his love. And there's nothing I can do that would make him cease to love me. God loves me because he loves me. Just like I love that guy because I love him. And ultimately, God demonstrates his love for us in this. When we were still a white-hot mess, when our lives were the biggest dumpster fire, he demonstrates his love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is selfless, self-giving, and sacrificial. And Jesus says that this is how we should love one another. Which is why later that night, he reemphasizes the point and drives it home saying, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. I no longer call you servants. Do you, do you get what Jesus is saying? Jesus isn't a puffed up boss barking orders. He calls us his friends. Why? Because nobody's going to give up their life for a puffed up barking boss. But like Jesus, with the love of God filling and overflowing from our hearts, we might humbly serve our friends even unto death. In this mini gospel drama where we see who Jesus is and how he lives his love towards us and how we are supposed to respond gratefully, we see that it is love that is the explanation. Love is the motivation. Love is the reason why God does everything that he does. And it's how Jesus commands us to imitate him and do what he did. And that, that's not a characteristic that, of leadership that the world expects. But Jesus shows us that kingdom leadership is all about love. We are loved by God. We are filled with the love of God, the same love 
that brought Jesus to the earth, the same love that took him to the cross, the same love that raised him from the grave, the same love that's going to bring him back for us again, that love is within us. That's who we are. We are people of love. And so kingdom leaders know their identity in Christ and humbly serve in love for the sake of others. Here's a, a little exercise that might help bring this home. That might help you hear and know and feel and trust that in Christ you have the love of God in your heart. Will you repeat this after me? This is how you can pray. This is how you can put the love of God expressed in 1 Corinthians 13 into practice. We you repeat this after me? In Christ, I have the love of God in my heart. And that means I'm patient. I'm kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. It also means I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. I always persevere. I have faith. I have hope. But more than anything else, in Christ, I have the love of God in my heart. What if Jesus in us and Jesus through us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we really matured as kingdom leaders and humbly served in love for the sake of others. What would happen in our lives? What would happen in our homes? What would happen in our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work? What would happen in this city if we came to Jesus imitated Jesus and led like Jesus for the sake of Jesus becoming more famous and the kingdom of God extending everywhere we went. I want to close um, with a prayer of humility. And if this prayer is helpful for you during the season of Kingdom Tide, there are 75 copies on that back table that you can uh, take with you and incorporate in your time of personal devotion as I am doing uh, this season. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear my prayer. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, 
Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebuke, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being slandered, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me and everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. But by the help of your Holy Spirit, make me as holy as I should be by loving you and loving my neighbor above all else, putting other needs before my own. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it.